0: hello oh, and welcome to another episode of novel not new a true end podcast it's a show where we mostly play visual novels and talk about them though sometimes we like to switch it up with uh, adventure games or anything story heavy really anyway i'm jennifer uncle your host
1: and joining me as always uh, six Detmar. bar hello hello and olivia joseph hi good seating for next month
2: good seat Are we, we have we have new seats
1: no you're foreshadowing jen was foreshadowing
2: oh oh like with a d yeah i was like i was like i mean you know i think this is like the same chair i've had for a while now listen
1: i have it's not a bad i chair, have that generic but... american accent and i can't do anything about it i'm from the northeast i say "cran." don't make fun of me
2: uh, see, I am I am a fifty fifty mix of the Midwest and California, um, which means I am perfectly clear, and in fact, sometimes uh, the, I have the added element of my father is and always was an English professor. So occasionally, when it's in question, I get really obnoxious and I say things like, uh, seating, uh, <laughs> seating. because I'm unbearable.
1: Uh, my dad is a um is an irish immigrant and uh whenever he gets a phone call from the family back home you can hear him start putting his t's into everything it's like truly hilarious Mm. he'll just get on the call and be like oh hi hi yes i'm doing fine i'm just sitting outside (laughs) it's like shut up john
2: (laughs) (laughs) wow no love for dad.
1: Anyway, speaking of not having any love for your father. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, we're, we're here to talk about Psychedelica of the Ashen Hawk, which is uh, a game that initially came out in around 2015-2016 in Japan, um, made by Idea Factory and Otomate. And... Um, it got its Western release initially, um, alongside Psychedelica of the Black Butterfly. They were released basically months apart in the US, before getting slightly more spread out for their uh, PC releases, and we were all playing off on the PC version.
2: Yeah, this is a Vita-ass Vita port, and I didn't, e- I didn't even know that beforehand, but I booted up the game, and... It I, I I like first off, I tried moving my mouse on the main menu and it really didn't want to pay attention to my mouse. Um, you really kind of have to insist a lot of times. And then I went into and it was like, okay, hit K to confirm, type your name, and then hit enter to confirm that and I was like, ah, Vita port. Got it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I feel like I may have had like similar difficulties, but I can't remember because I started this game like Right after we did the 80 Days episode, and then the global pandemic happened. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, very spaced out for me in terms of playing this game.
2: Yeah, I was the irresponsible one who took way too long to start it.
0: It also had this weird thing where, um, well, when you're playing the game and you're moving the mouse around, if you put the mouse to any one of the corners, it gives you an option, almost
1: like it was initially designed with optional touchscreen support. Mm -hmm. yeah the like um i would always like 10 i tend to put my mouse at the bottom of the screen so in this game it would just be like oh do you want to see our flow chart
2: which you do um because the game is you know we're not we'll get into talking about the story but the game is really like gets pretty dark and depressing at times but at any moment you can just click the flow chart and get back to the regular town music and everything's happy again
1: Oh god, I wanted to see how far I would get, but I could do the whole thing. <laughs> uh...
2: Congratulations, you win!
1: <laughs> Hooray!
0: Yeah, and that town music also plays whenever you're interrogating the locals. It's And it always starts from the beginning. It's really something
1: oh please just let it play conti- just play the track continuously it's not gonna change I'm sure there's a coding mess behind that though. Sure, that definitely sure. feels like the kind of thing that happens because a programmer goes ah oh, fuck it whatever
2: yeah I think you know I think it's like technically it's loading in a new scene and it's coded to st- like choose a yeah. music track at the start of the scene and like they're like yeah I could probably code an exception to this I don't have time for that <laughs>
0: The most frustrating uh, physical limitation for me when I was going around the game is sometimes you're faced with um you're faced with a location that has um enough things to do that it has a scroll up and down. But if you oh, try yeah. and scroll up, it's like, Oh, you wanna to go to the flowchart? It's like, No, I was scrolling on the scroll bar, what are you doing?
1: yes you can you can scroll down but you can't yeah i definitely had a few things wrote and scrolling down is really fast too so there were definitely times where i'd like shoot down to the bottom of the list and be like no i wanted to i wanted to talk to somebody else then you gotta back out you also press semicolon to cycle through cgs in the gallery mode so controls are a piece of work
2: yeah yeah but uh not a piece of work is the story
1: Story's a bit of a piece of work, but like in a good way. IMO. Um, all right. Well, I
2: understand you wrote us a summary.
1: <laughs> yeah. Look, I was, I was waiting for somebody. Yes. I have a summary. Um, you know, we discussed this earlier, but please jump in uh, because this summary is about uh, 1,000 words and I don't even do an ending. Like, <laughs> I get up to the final choice because. Uh, this a lot happens in this game so uh psychedelia of psychedelica ugh, of the ashen hawk uh follows a story of jed um who lives in a perpetually snowy town ruled by two opposing clans the wolf clan and the hawk clan uh since her birth uh jed has hidden uh both her birth gender and her uh red right eye uh, living as a man because the town is like, filled with rumors that um, there is a witch living among them who brings disaster. And Jed has been told by her uh, adoptive mother, Francisca, that if anyone ever finds out about her secrets, uh, they're likely to kill her. Um, Francisca is the only one who knows about Jed's gender. Uh, even her two sons, Lavon and Levi, who have known uh, Jed since they were all children, they're completely in the dark. Um, Jed lives daily life as a man of the Wolf Clan, uh, working as a handyman in town, and uh, lives on the outskirts of town with a mysterious older man who goes by the name Ashen Hawk, and jokingly claims to be an amnesiac ghost wizard. Um,
2: worth noting, real quick, it does allow you to punch in your own name. Don't do it, because if you punch in your own name, then if you if you use the default names, then you get voice acting for the names.
0: Mm. Oh, okay. That's what was going on with me because I changed her name to uh, Victor.
2: Yeah. So then, then it's like people just going, "Oh, it's you!" Like any JRPG,
1: instead of "Oh, it's you, Jed." Oh, I had voice. I just used uh, default and yep got voice acting for both names because the game asks you mm-hmm. to choose a male and female name.
2: Yep. Yeah. No. And if you change, if you leave them by default, you get voice acting for both. And if you change. Mm -hmm. one of them then for that one you don't get voice acting
0: this game has weird granularity in that regard like you can turn on an option where uh jed will never be voiced and you can turn on an option where jed will never be seen like
1: i assume they just create a void where they where they are (laughs) you can also you can also adjust um I think the volume, definitely the existence of voice acting at all by individual characters. Like, if you don't want to hear Ogar's fucking voice ever, you can just press a button and the man will not be voiced.
2: (laughs) So this is a pretty standard set of features for uh, dating-focused visual novels.
1: Hmm. I thought it
2: was like Uh, a Seiyu
1: thing. Like, if you only want to hear your favorite voice actor. Yeah.
2: Exactly. I mean, well, it's it's. Oh, I, no, it's it's. Um, I mean, there is a little bit of that. Like, people will play specific uh, visual novel, like dating sim or otome games, based on the the actors who are in it. So that's a thing. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, there will be times where you're just like, ugh, I didn't know so and so was going to be in this. I just can't stand their voice. Or like, even you know, there are also people where it's just like, oh, I'm in here because Lavon is my one true love, and I don't even want to hear anyone else talk. <laughs> um hmm, like but yeah, they sort of that's a sort of staple cultural thing. Genre. yeah
1: okay um so uh in basically the story sort of begins when uh jed is tasked by the town priest with finding the Caledovia, which is a mysterious artifact linked to the town's history uh that has gone missing under mysterious circumstances um in the course of the investigation uh, Jed decides to quote unquote, uh, disguise as a woman so that she can, uh, basically talk to members of the Hawk clan who wouldn't give her the time of day as they usually know her, um, while, uh, disguising herself as a woman, uh, she ends up going close to the, uh, Hawk Lord Olgar's son, Lugas, who is investigating a string of serial murders that are occurring around town. Uh, Jed eventually finds the Kaleidovia with the help of a mysterious man named Hugh, who claims to simply be an ordinary traveler, um... And Jed returns the Kaleidovia to the church in time for the Spring Masquerade, which is a time of festivities and uh, cooperation between uh, the wolves and the hawks.
2: Uh, Minor clarification. My boyfriend does not claim to be standard in any way. He repeatedly says he's mysterious.
1: Uh, No. I remember this very specifically. He calls himself a traveler and then he says if I were ha- if I had to have an e- add an extra word to it, I would call myself a mysterious traveler. <laughs>
2: oh my god he but that that adds to the mysterious vibe is that he doesn't even want to give himself an adjective
1: that's true uh a lot so a lot has been cut from these summaries because especially this first section of the game is a lot of like daily life you're wandering around town you're talking to people you're having uh like side scenes with the various love interests um uh I, I tried my best to phrase what happens with Hugh, but uh, what actually happens is a mysterious man tells Jed to go to the town square at midnight. And then uh, Hugh, an even more mysterious man, appears out of the mist uh, like a horror movie monster and goes, here's the artifact. Take it. <laughs>
2: Just A spooky pair of arms
1: poking out of the fog. I have no ulterior motives. Take this. <laughs> a literal ex machina. It was, it was honestly funny to play this game. Like how I thought the search for the Kaleidovia was going to be like the plot of the game. And Jed accomplishes nothing. <laughs> looking for this mystic artifact that nobody knows what it looks like or even what it's really for. Um, and there's lore reasons for that. But it basically has to be handed to her by Hugh because nobody has any idea what she is ever talking about. Mm-hmm. Oh. All right. So after this sort of spring masquerade, this uh, festival where everyone seems to have made up, uh, tragedy strikes as the hawks betray the wolves, rousing the town folk to attack the wolf manor by starting a rumor that Francisca is the witch who has cursed the town to its eternal winter. Francisca draws the crowd's attention away from Jed and tells her to keep the Kaleidovia away from the hawks and Lord Olgar at any cost. As the Hawks begin to take over the town, Jed begins to doubt who she can really trust. The ever-calm uh Lavan? Love on, Lavan? I was always confused. But, uh, reveals that he has... Sort of a hidden side and he has a lot more rage and ruthlessness than she gave him credit for uh the happy-go-lucky levy is revealed to be the one behind the serial murders when he attacks jed uh ashen hawk disappears and jed's life ends up being saved by lugus who tries to convince her that francisca was the one ordering levy to commit the murders in order to secure her own power in the town and that that was why the hawks turned against her uh, while searching for answers, Jed encounters Hugh again, who tells her that there are four stones missing from the via that drive their owners to anger, badness, and violence, and that three of those stones are the cause of Lavon, Levi, and Olgar's like extreme actions. Uh, Jed ends up reuniting with Ashenhawk as well, who tells her that her red eye gives her the power to see into the hearts of other people and tells her to use that power in order to... Uh, basically understand and like reconcile with everyone who's been affected by the magic stones how do we feel about that section um (laughs) keep going (laughs) okay uh so, Jed first uses her power on Lavon, discovering that he has been concealing a deep inferiority complex and a hatred towards his birth father, the absentee Lord of the Wolves, who abandoned the family the year that Jed came to live with them. Uh, Lavon has lived in constant fear ever since that he will repeat his father's mistakes. Uh... Sort of understanding where Lavon is coming from now. Uh, Jed and him are able to reconcile. Uh, Jed confronts Levy and uses her power to help him break free of the Kaleidovia's influence. By basically revealing that, uh, you know, it's very Star Wars There is still good in you. Even though you've been doing a ton of serial murder. Uh, The repentant Levy uh, ends up confirming Lugas' story. That Francisca was the one who uh, encouraged his murderous impulses. And basically let him loose on the town. Uh... Uh, which ends up casting sort of further doubt on the legacy of the wolf clan. Uh, Jed and uh, Lavon and Levy nevertheless form an uneasy alliance with Lugus, who at this point has become convinced that his father no longer has the town's best interests in mind and must be killed before he basically burns it all down. Uh, the Wolf-Hawk alliance fight their way to Ogre's mansion and are interrupted in, in the throne room by Ashen, Hawk and Hugh, who basically do the the Sherlock Holmes parlor scene, like, now I've gathered everyone here, and I'm going to explain the lore. Uh, any thoughts before I just do the whole damn backstory now?
2: Uh, just, uh, this whole part of the... Hmm.
0: <laughs>
2: this is where the games, like, before this, it's like, okay, there's some weird stuff going on, but this is where things really start to feel pretty fucky.
0: Yeah, the... The bit where uh, <laughs> the bit where Jed calms down um, Levy um, is it's actually maybe one of my well it has one of my favorite aftermaths in this where she confronts him and instead of stabbing her, he starts stabbing himself in the arm and he's like, "Oh, this is so terrible and bites down on her shoulder. And by the time they're all calmed down and they make their way back to the church. Lawrence, the person who's not a priest but is managing the church anyway, is like Man, you two came home with some stupid wounds.
2: <laughs> um, I don't know what to do with you, Jen. As soon as you opened your mouth I was like, Jen's gonna talk about how that guy bit that lady.
0: <laughs> what do I do
2: with you? Boy, I, does he I wasn't bite that lady.
0: I wasn't talking about it in terms of Oh, that's hot. I thought it was funny that the guy that Lawrence takes someone and looks at Lawrence takes one look at them and is like, what the fuck y'all doing?
1: <laughs>
2: Imagine my expression right now.
1: How about when uh, the first time Jed ever uses her power to look into Lavon's heart? The thing that I uh, that I cut out was uh, she ends up seeing his sort of like mind's eye image of them like making out while naked. Mm hmm. And from then on, <laughs> then, see the part after that is my favorite aftermath scene in which Jed can just be like, "So, about that, do you want to just like shrug emoji and like <laughs> she can just like sleep with Lavon there with like no impact on any route choices or anything? Um, really?
2: Yeah. Like uh, it- I I sort of assumed that was it had an impact. And also I was like, that's uh um, we're not doing that
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty i'm pretty sure that like you can do that and then just like go to any other route because on the flow chart it's just a sort of like they go to the exact same scene afterwards well but there's a lot of
2: stuff where like um the flow chart is misleading
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah. because
2: it is calculating how you've gotten there and there are going to be times where like you can make choices but like um I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it more, but at the end there, um, the choices I, I, at the final fork, um, it kind of didn't matter what choices I made, I would end up with Wolf Brothers, because of how I played up until
1: then. Mm. Huh. That also happened, to me. so that's true, yeah, you can jump around on the flow chart to any point, but I was, at the end, like, running into that thing where, uh, I guess it had just calculated, it concluded I was too nice to all of these men, and it was giving me the no-choice ending.
2: I mean, you know, I don't I don't know who you were going for, but you did bring Lavon to the Bone Zone, so I didn't bring
1: him going. to the Bone Zone the first time. I went back and brought him to the Bone Zone because I was like <laughs> You what?
2: doubled back for the Bone Zone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, honestly, Lavon is one of is my least favorite love interest. Uh he's got he's got red flags, not in the fun anime way, but in like the too real way. Uh yeah.
0: So. There's that whole side scene earlier on where he just shows up when Jed is sleeping in one of the pews and starts brushing her face and hair and it's like,
1: oh, this is this is not comfortable. Uh, yeah. And his his thing about his um like to compare him to Levy, his brother, right? Levy is like, oh, there's a magic stone on my ring that is like uh that is like amplifying my murderous impulses and then and you know my mom has been uh, telling me to commit serial murders and Lavon is over there with the comparatively incredibly real thing of like oh geez am I gonna end up like my shitty father and
2: but but also then when you're when you're like hey Levy give me a ring he's like yeah man fuck this thing and you talk to Lavon he's like
1: no I'm gonna keep the insanity stone thank you very much (laughs) Uh, can you at least take it off, my guy? <laughs> <laughs> that that does come into effect
0: during his ending, which I'll get into when we get to the endings. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's, he's just like, and also just sort of his character. I was like, the initial pitch of his character, I'm like, okay, he's the nice guy who's really nice. And then mm. I was just kind of like, nah, not my cup of tea. I prefer i nice mm-hmm. and stupid, which is why I was leaning Levy for a long time. <laughs> Le- Levy's whole thing, though, is kind of, well,
0: the murder thing is obnoxious. I mean, is a bit too overbearing <laughs> on its own for me, but also there's just there's just the way that he and T just
1: get drunk and they're like... No, I love him more. No, I love him more. <laughs> That's good. Oh, uh, we forgot to mention T, who is uh, Nanami from Revolutionary Girl Utena, um, and Lucas's sister. But she rules, though. She does kind of rule. She's like, yeah, not literally Nanami, in that uh, uh, they don't go as far as Revolutionary Re- Revolutionary Girl Utena does, and like her affection for her brother. She's just sort of like clingy until she gets a crush on jed and then like just has her whole life ruined Mm -hmm. i was a big Mm -hmm. fan of the scene in the bar where jed ends up getting drunk and t is just like no he's cute Ugh, why is he cute when he's drunk this isn't fair uh T, t was like a very good um i liked her a lot and then like you know, suffering and pain happened to her in the last section. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, damn it, they got me.
2: Yeah, that's, that's you know, take take a character who hasn't done anything wrong and put them through pain and you're going to make the audience
1: like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, So, All right. Uh, should I do the backstory now? <sighs> yeah, why not? <sighs> what happened in the town 17 years ago that caused all of this. Uh, so Hugh and Ashenhawk basically reveal through magic and flashbacks that... Before Jed was born, uh, a, his- a historic alliance was struck between the wolves and the hawks when the twin siblings of both clans became friends and eventually intermarried. Uh, so Francisca, originally born of the hawks and Olgar's, do- and Olgar's sister, ended up marrying Apris, the man who would eventually become Ashenhawk. Meanwhile, Olga, Francisca's brother, married Apris's sister, Aria. Uh, Olga and Arya's marriage was happy Although they weren't able to bear children for a while uh, Whereas Francisca Became more and more unsatisfied With Aprys who was an absent husband Neglected his duties to her To the clan uh, Basically to hang out with Olga and Arya And like live the bachelor life While well, Francisca was saddled with everything uh, And over the years Francisca eventually begins To blame Arya for her troubles uh, She falls into this sort of like this distorted thinking pattern where she convinces herself that uh, Arya took her brother from her and then saddled her with Apris, you know, her brother, this useless husband. Um, and she eventually uh, convinces herself, you know, that Arya whose eyes do turn red, oh, must be the witch who has cursed me to an eternal unhappiness. Um, in one particularly harsh winter, Francisca schemes to send Olgar out of town and then uses the myth to turn the townsfolk against Arya and convince them that if they kill her, the harsh winter will end and in spring will come back to the town. So... Uh, the townsfolk attack the hawk mansion, uh, set it on fire, and a mortally wounded Arya, who at this point has given birth to a, a infant daughter, runs into Francisca and, like, never once suspecting her of betraying her, you know, gives her her daughter and says, like, you know, take care of her for me, uh, because I, you know, I know I'm not going to survive this. Uh, when Olgar returns to find his wife murdered by the townsfolk, he flies into a rage and starts, like, killing everybody he can... Fine. that was connected to the massacre uh, he takes the Kaleidovia which is said to have the power over life and death from the church and attempts it to use it to return Arya to life uh Aprys, who sort of wanders into this doesn't quite understand exactly what's happening tries to stop Olgar uh, but is killed by him just as Olgar invokes the Kaleidovia's power um the sort of two men's wishes end up uh distorting Uh, The effect of the Kaleidovia, which is already incomplete because of the removed stones. Um, And the artifact ends up turning the town into a psychedelica, uh, which is the lore name for a world between life and death. Uh, Everyone in town uh, basically forgets their most painful memories, uh, and they're all able to basically forget that they killed Arya and live out this sort of unchanging, mundane existence uh, in this town of endless winter. Um, and really nobody is the wiser until Jed, who was that girl that, uh, Francisco raised, finds the Kaleidovia, uh, which ends up returning Olgar's memories and awakens his desire for vengeance. So in the present day, uh, now that she knows, um, basically what happened and finds out that the last stone of the Kaleidovia is inside her, Jed has to make a decision about what to do. And... Her two options, as initially presented to her, are you know, does she make peace with the pain and everything that has happened and live out the rest of her life in this town that will someday, at an indeterminate point in the future, just be covered by the snow and vanish? Or will she sacrifice her life to uh, free, you know, the stone from her body and uh, allow somebody else to use it to complete the Kaleido via uh, destroying the dream world? supposedly it's ambiguous you know they don't know exactly what's going to happen but the theory is that everyone's souls will be able to return to normal existence um but but
2: they're already dead though just like they'll return to the cycle of life and yeah death, the cycle the cycle dead.
1: of life and death but the sort of life they have in the dream world is implied to be like this sort of strange weird unlife where like basically things just sort of go by and like it's all very mundane i think is what it's implied to be like nothing truly bad happens but nothing super good happens either
2: mm, i mean i think i think nothing truly good happens is is true i think i mean like they so they say at numerous points like the the town is like built on a foundation of sad, sadness and drowning in sadness mm-hmm. so yeah i think they're like you can you can have a good time in here but fundamentally, this place is a bummer. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I, th- I think maybe more accurate to say, like, sadness you can ignore. Like, sure. people are able to, you know, their pain, like, doesn't really overwhelm them. Like, Francisca is able to forget that she, you know, orchestrated her friend's murder and just raise her daughter. Um, well, that doesn't cause her any pain. No. Uh, She's a shitty person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... Uh, you, you know, I think it's implied at the in the scene where she's killed by the Hawks, um, that she's remembered everything by that point. Um, and her, you know, her sacrifice, she's basically pretending to Jed to be doing a noble sacrifice to save her life, um, but is in in, you know, in retrospect, when you go back to that scene, the implication that I got was she had basically remembered everything that she had done and was like, okay, the only thing I can do now is, you know, give up my life.
2: I had a different reading of that.
1: I'm not saying, like, Francesca was redeemed, but, like...
2: Well, my reading was that Francesca realized there was no way she was going to get out of this, and so she might as well die manipulating someone one last time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. I...
0: there's <laughs> also the bit where her ghost... Uh, during one of the routes you could take of this, her ghost comes to you while you're st- while you're um, locked up in a room and convinces you to think yourself out of existence. Mm. She sucks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does happen if like Jed refuses to acknowledge that like. Um... Basically, if Jed uses the knowledge that the world is, like, a dream world uh, to convince herself that nothing that happens is real, like, the ghost of Francisca comes and, like, you know, like, like you said, convinces herself to dream herself out of existence. Um, I don't know. Maybe I just like the horrid evil mom archetype. But I... I ended up interpreting her as, you know, somebody who... Absolutely a villain, definitely somebody who, um, you know, does a lot of horrid things in her life, but on a similar moral level to Ashenhawk and Olgar in the end. Well, not Olgar, maybe. I think Olgar ends up coming more sympathetic, but like somebody like Ashenhawk, who was, you know, uh, who basically let the things in his life fall to ruin.
2: I mean, Ashenhawk... I feel like, I mean, Francisco was intentionally, deliberately evil. Ashenhawk is the kind of person who sucks a lot. I'm not here to say Ashen Hawk doesn't suck. Ashen he would Hawk, also however, say that he sucks. <laughs> but yeah, Ashenhawk is the kind of guy who sucks in the way where he's like, oh gosh, everything in my life is so hard and I just can't make it better. And someone's like, what if you did something? And he's like, oh, there's no way I could. And that blows, but it's not the same as like, convincing people to mass murder
1: mm-hmm. it's i mean the thing about francisca is that like she she gets where she gets because of basically like years of um you know being being saddled with all of these duties and raising this family and seeing you know what she thinks is, like, the perfect happiness that she should have been, uh, that she should have, you know, had access to, um, basically just out of her reach, um, and I don't know, I'm just, I I guess I'm just able to look at that arc and be like, okay, I see, you know, I see that arc as, you know, despite the fact that it, like, leads her to a very evil place and that she's definitely an antagonist in the story, I can see it with, like, um, What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I guess like an empathy, like an understanding mm-hmm. of how somebody gets there. Um, yeah, you can empathize with her because I can't. The... But <laughs> yeah, neither can I. I was just, <laughs> I was just okay. <laughs> well, I was just using the... the word. I think there's a lot for me in like the use of the story of the witch, right? I, mm-hmm. for me, I ended up finding it thematically significant that what Francis- Francisca goes to is like, oh. Aria is a witch, like, a witch is, like, a really specific, like, western, like, western, I like, western, basically, concept of, like, you know, like, a woman who is responsible for societal evils, and mm-hmm. I ended up, from, like, a fictional perspective, liking her story of this woman who falls victim to, like, you know, this society in which a man, you know, she can marry this man who can neglect his duties, leave her with everything and get off scot-free and decides, you know, to in reaction do the evil thing of blaming another woman rather than like confronting her husband, really.
2: Yeah, I mean, i you know, it's its not that I don't sympathize with uh, like, man, your husband is a fucking piece of garbage, but it's just the jump she makes. Now, obviously, I can't go there with her, but also I can't connect with her going there.
1: Mm -hmm. i think that makes sense i could like enjoy it as a dramatic arc and you know feel some sort of empathy for her like in a i could see in a in a better world basically a world in which none of this happens because francesca has somebody in her life that's able to like some sort of connection that can stop her from you know getting completely in her head and doing the and you know committing this evil act um but that's sort of what what happens is that she doesn't have anyone because she's been deprived of everybody that she used to count on.
2: Well, but then she like gets in, put into the psychedelica where uh, she's not, you know, she's lost her memory of that and her kids love her and try and help her nonstop. And she still causes
1: serial killings to happen. She does cause a ser- she does cause serial killings to happen. <laughs> I don't really have anything to say to the serial killing part. <laughs> 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 I did the defense of Francesca arrests. I turn around to her and I'm like, "You did order some serial killings."
2: Now, Olgar, I will defend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Olgar was doing real killing. Olgar was doing right out there killings. There were you no. Know, like- he
2: was willing to. He was willing to step. Would he? Olgar like, was a the church. Sure, but like you know, listen.
1: I'm just saying, I if I have to choose between a male fascist and like a you know like a horrible bitch, I'll choose the
2: horrible bitch. I I like Francesca better in the Psychedelica, but before in the flashback, I like Olgar better. When Olgar walks in the well, church, and is like, man, fuck all y'all. I was like, I fl- mean this is a little harsh, but I get it.
1: That's because in the flashback, Olgar is just uh like the Netflix hot. Dracula.
2: Yeah, he has the <laughs> it's the hot. exact same
1: story. <laughs> comes home from picking flowers to find that the villagers killed his wife as a witch. <laughs> Netflix Castlevania. And I guess regular. Doesn't that happen that's regular Castlevania, right? That's just I mean
2: that's just that's just history. True. Like, you know, you you ever wonder how I his- got these scars? Historical figure that-
1: Dracula. on <laughs> <laughs> but-
0: Yeah, should we get into the ending stuff now or Should we tackle some of the
1: other stuff in the game first? I figure, like, we could talk about endings and wrap around to anything that interests us. Because there's I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about in those endings.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to start with one that I think is not going to take us very long to talk about. Is it Wolf Brothers? Wolf Brothers? Uh Yeah.
1: Wolf Brothers is such a good name for an ending. (laughs) I saw that I was on, like, the... I was like by the end of the game I was like checking the flow chart obsessively um, every time there was a fade to black I was like okay where am I I saw like wolf brothers and I was like hell yes and then wolf brothers happened and I was like oh no <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> uh, but I when I got I did a similar thing and I was like oh okay this is the ending where they're like oh you were kind of too flirty to both Lavon and Levy and I was like I actually really wasn't flirted to
1: either of them but whatever you say game um... Well, I think it's more that like So basically what happens is at, like, at the end of the story, you know, Lugus, um, you know, the townsfolk uh, end up hearing this, uh, you know, this whole backstory and concluding, oh, so we were cursed by a witch and it must be Jed. Uh, Because the story, like, I mean, you know, that's sort of like just a theme of the story of people hearing uh, of people like assuming that a single person is responsible for everything bad that happened. that's the what yeah. happens in the ending if you kill Olgar. Um, and I think
2: it's it's also like there's there's a way in which it works for me because there is sort of this implication that people's minds are a little bit funny in the psychedelica um like people can't remember the Kaleida Via existing at all, right? Or And mm-hmm. none of them can remember the incidents that incited all of this. So people's minds aren't, like, super on the level and the idea that maybe because of this, like, fear-mongering is a little more effective. It's like, okay, sure.
1: Mm, right. I, there's definitely that There's definitely, like, I think it's a fact, basically, that people's minds get funny in the psychedelica, but I didn't see that as, like, anything more than, like we said, historically what happens, people are confronted with a great tragedy and assume it must be the work of witches, or, like, some woman that they can blame and kill.
2: Yeah, I guess I just want to be a little more generous to the game, because if I'm not giving them that, then the fact that they blamed three witches in a row and killed two of them and literally nothing changed just makes everyone involved look like a moron in a way I find hard to believe.
1: I wouldn't say that. I would say, it. you know, it reflects like societal misogyny, you know, like a structural violence that happens to women, you know, like people blame three women in a row for stuff that happens in real life as well, you know, it's not, you I know, guess. it's not sensible, I mean, like, but it is what happens.
2: One of the things that I like about fiction is fiction is able to make more sense than reality
1: sometimes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, Wolf Brothers. No, Wolf Brothers. So yeah. Wolf Brothers. So in order basically to, um, you know, get a handle on the hysteria, Lucas um, you know, arrests Jed and has her in this jail cell. Um, and... Basically, the last act of the game is that Hugh comes. Hugh is a shapeshifter. We forgot to mention that Hugh shapeshifts. Uh, and oh, yeah. And turns into Jed and says, well, I'll chill in the jail cell. You put on your girl form and, you know, wander around and talk to everyone and figure out what you want to do. Um, if you basically don't have a clear route that you're on, Wolf Brothers triggers, which is the ending in which Lavon and Levy take back the stones of the psychedelica. Um, and slaughter everybody in the town in order to save jed um and you know it's lavon breaks jed out of jail things look normal and then lavon brutally murders every single guard and jed goes oh uh uh-oh um and you know takes lavon takes her to the town center where levy is just killing everybody and they go Mm -hmm. you know hey you know you didn't seem like you were doing anything so we took the initiative ourselves and we just decided you know they took the stones for power and it ended up like warping their minds to the point where they thought you know the simplest solution is just to kill everyone and then nobody can be a threat to jed and Mm -hmm. they do kill everybody and jed is like oh god i did this because i couldn't make a choice and the three children of the wolf clan live out the rest of their lives in hell because they also set fire to the town Mm
2: mm-hmm Yeah, it's, it's, they do a a really good job of, uh, sort of like the fun, like, I mean, you know, I think, I think everyone here has at least some form of mental illness. So, you know, we are coming from a place of knowing, right? But there is the fun kind of anime crazy, right? Where it's just like, oh, they're really peppy about doing horrible things. Mm -hmm. That is still fun. It's very peppy. And it's like, um, and it's just Levon like, walking into town, and the entire town's on fire, and Levon chuckles, is like, man, Levy really went overboard. And you're like, oh,
1: god. <laughs> yeah, I think what, I think, like, when Jed sees Levy, he's, like, murder, he's, like, stabbing somebody, and I think it says that he turns around and goes, oh, hey, Jed, and, like, kicks a dude off of his sword, <laughs> and then is like, yep. hold on, let me just go kill all these people real quick, and then I'll get you, I'll get, like, we'll talk, we'll talk, and then, like, runs over and kills five people. <laughs> Um, That's incredible. <laughs> I think they also like cuz it's like a it's basically like a, you know, a downward slope into into full-on bad end. At first it looks like they've rallied the rest of the wolves and I think they have, but then they kill all of the wolves as well. Uh I th-
2: Is it I couldn't I couldn't I mean like they would definitely kill some of the
1: wolves. Mm-hmm. I think what for... happens is that they, you know, they rally the wolves to do like the wolf versus hawk war and then when the wolves mm-hmm. start getting like you know their compunctions, and like, I, I, this is yeah. this is not what we signed up for. They just kill them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is there is definitely like, uh, again, part of this initial reveal is Levy is, is Jed being like, "What is going on?" And Levon's like, "Oh, we just decided we're over the
1: idea of hawks." Yeah, we're done. <laughs> we're <just> done. <laughs> the hawks are canceled, Jed. We are canceling them. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, they murder they murder just everybody.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's like the a, final it's...
1: the final CG is like Jed crying in the middle of the town while holding on to them, and they're just sort of looking at her like not understanding why she would be sad. Because they and did it. Is they, saved in blood. <laughs> they saved her. They saved her. Now nobody can hurt her anymore. Yeah. That's Wolf Brothers. Yep. Uh there's an uh I could do the Ashenhawk's bad end.
2: Yeah, that'd be a good one to do next.
1: Yeah, so, like I said in the summary, you know, Ashenhawk, um, is, he's literally, he turns out to actually literally be a ghost. He is the ghost of Apris, which is Lavon and Levy's uh, father, you know, the former wolf lord, um, the guy who was indirectly, you know, sort of, he was indirectly responsible for a lot of what happened, um, and he, you know, brought into the psychedelica, he was able to forget all of that, and, you know, basically live this life in this tower outside where he could just sort of hang out and, you know, freewheel and do whatever. Um, Jed ends up living with him because she, when she, like, reaches puberty, uh, she starts, you know, to think that she can't live in the wolf mansion anymore and goes off to find her own place, and, you know, through... I think it's, it's implied to be fate that brings the two of them together. She like is looking for an abandoned house and ends up finding his tower and they live together. Um, in Ashenhawk's bad ending, you know, he's recovered all of his memories. He remembered what he did and he comes to Jed and is like, Hey, I'm a bad person. (laughs) Like I ruined everything in my life. Um, but he convinces himself basically that, you know, he can do one good thing in his entire life, which is protect Jed. And he offers, like, you know, if you want, I can I can protect you and nobody will, you know, nobody will threaten you. You'll be fine. We can just live out, like, our domestic life forever. Um, and if Jed accepts, they go back to his tower um and there's a huge blizzard outside and they're just sort of like, you know, living, they're talking, they're chatting, they're making each other dinner. Uh, as the blizzard gets worse and worse and Jed's like memory starts to get fuzzier and fuzzier. Like she starts to lose days, sleep for a long time. Um, Ash and Hawk seems like sadder, you know, Jed observes that like, Oh, he seems sadder no matter how much we talk. I don't know what's wrong with him. Um, and, like, the, the final note is sort of Ashenhawk cradling Jed in his arms while being like, you know, we'll just stay here until the storm goes away and then we can go outside again. And it's I guess it's assumed the whole town is eventually just buried under the snow.
0: Yeah, the impression I got from that scene is that he did some sort of sleeping spell on her so that she's just constantly going to bed all the time at, at to a point where she's not even eating anymore. She just... Wakes up a little bit, and then then he's like, "Oh, if if you're feeling sleepy, just go back to sleep." And I I got the idea that her her basically her her life was waning away until she became like Ashen Hawk.
2: I don't know if it was like I didn't get the impression of a sleeping spell myself. It just seemed more like a consequence of neglecting the world that the world started to sort of fall away.
1: Mm-hmm. It seemed to me like an effect of the psychedelica, like. Mm -hmm. the psychedelica will let you forget about the things that you need to forget about to like live your daily life and the implication that i got was basically that the only way it could do that for jed is by basically like ending you know her ability to think you know because she you know she in a lot of the other endings you know she is very absorbed in the town and she wants to do right by the people of the town so the only way that she really could live that like you know screw everything i'm going to just look after myself life with ashen hawk was just you know sleeping that whole time and i think mm-hmm. ashen hawk's sadness is implied to be him realizing that that's what his choice means and just accepting it
2: yeah that's that's closer to what the the reading i had as well
1: i for a bad end i end up liking it um i you know ashen hawk is the sort of like I also like trash anime men, and I like that ending as a sort of like very like a bad end to his character arc you know he mm-hmm. he's aware of his faults he knows what he did wrong, but rather than like doing the hard work that he needs to do to become a better person, he decides to you know I'm gonna do one thing right and he can't do that,
2: yeah I mean like this is this is the guy who uh yeah fucked up everything to begin with by being such an irresponsible flake and he's not about to get better now
1: mm-hmm. there was an implication in the uh in the whole flashback scene that like um he was really not at all serious about his relationship with francisca and they only got married because um, of pressure from aria basically uh because mm-hmm. and also pressure from the town like it was just great optics to have like two two siblings from each clan who intermarry and bring this era of peace.
2: Yeah.
0: I feel like that gets into my Levon ending pretty well in terms of parallels. Like, um, the way that LaVon's Le- good ending is basically you wake up in the jail cell and uh, Lucas has you brought to um, one of the... Other um, wolf manners that hasn't actually burned down, like a spare wolf manor, and um,
1: I didn't realize basi- they had multiple manners.
0: <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is, well, the way that they explain the text is, oh yeah, it was basically identical except for a few identifying features, and then you look at this, you look at the backgrounds. So it's like, oh yeah, they just removed the wolf statue in the middle and some things like that. No. But uh, yeah, basically, what happens is that uh, you're brought to a trial within this within this manner, and um, LaVon gets you out of it by basically being like, Oh yeah, we we were married the whole time. Like, she and I, we were just married the entire time. And of course, Lucas doesn't buy that. Levi doesn't buy that. No one else buys that. But they're kind of like, okay, for optics' sake, you can't be the witch if you're married to the head of the wolf clan. So... Yeah, we'll go ahead with that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that literally didn't stop them the last two times.
0: Yeah, but it for whatever reason it well, I think the reason it stops them this time is that Levon points out like, "Look, you just killed you just killed the leader of the wolf clan. If you kill my wife now, we'll have pretty good grounds to just fucking kill all the hawks." And Lucas is like, "Hmm. Okay, that makes sense." So,
1: he like calls, basically calls the bluff. We'll have a town well, civil sure war for a third time. <laughs> yeah, he's
0: like, okay, you can go get married. We'll just say that you two are married. And you and Levon live out this fake marriage life, but eventually gets to a point where you're just kind of in the manner all the time, and he's increasingly avoiding you, afraid to even look at you for a bit. At some point, he stumbles into you once or twice, and he just mutters something about... The sight of you disgusting him.
1: Jesus. And
0: Yeah. At, at some point it gets to. It gets to a specific point. Where you're like. Oh I found the plate of your old father. And Lava just smashes it to the ground. And. Through this. Basically. By talking. I mean. After that. Jed basically goes back to Ash and Hawk. To talk to him. Being like. Hey do you think you could talk to Levon or something? I know that you're his father and he hates you, but and basically by talking with Ashenhawk Ashenhawk's like, look he's afraid of becoming like me and he's already starting to follow some of the patterns that I exhibited and he hates himself for that so you just need to talk to him, be frank with him about what you need from him and he'll stop acting this way. And as, uh, as Jed head ba- heads back to the town, it turns out that uh, LaVon was hiding in the shadows the entire time, listening to it. And Ashen Hawk was aware, and the two of them are like, "Okay, yeah, now I'm going to give my ring back to you, Ashen Hawk. This I don't ever want to see you again, but I understand how she feels now, and we'll need to talk about this." So at some point, LaVon kind of slowly gestures to you to kind of like, okay, I'm around, just talk to me about this. And the two of you end up in the church and recreate the fake ha-ha marriage from earlier in the story, making the relationship legitimate.
1: Man, this game is, like, not here to provide you with the, like, Dating fluff that I thought it would at some points.
2: Yeah, for uh, for a game developed by a studio called Otomate. Y'all not my mates. You not my
1: friends. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Man, that's really interesting. Like, hmm.
0: Yeah, you, you get the impression that the that the ring he still has is affecting him a little bit there, but. It's only strengthening his disgust he had for his father. And because he's basically in a fake marriage with you and pretending to... Basically playing a role in pretending to care for you, but secretly sneaking out, he starts to hate himself more and he reflects that ba- that back onto you until the two of you just talk it out
1: and work it out. Huh. Damn. Huh? <laughs>
2: Uh, so very briefly, uh, there is an ending. Uh, I think that's just called like friends or something, and that one's really nice.
1: <laughs> what is the friends ending uh, six?
2: Uh, if you, um, I think it's called friends. It might, and it might be called like people or so. It's the one where you um, do actually kill. Uh, Olgar with the sword? Oh, that's what it's called. Oh, yeah. Where they literally tell you to, and if you actually do it, it's just like, okay, you kill, you kill Olgar, and then everyone's like, hooray, we've saved the village, and everyone likes you, and everyone likes each other, and everyone's happy, and then, uh, a fucking <laughs> Hugh shows, shows up and is like, and that's the ending, and this is a shitty ending, and you did a bad job, and I was like, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs>
1: well, so, like, I got that ending because that was the first ending that i got because lugus was like hey kill my dad if it comes to that and i was like all right boss mm-hmm. so i did that yep. um like Hugh's thing at the end is basically like because there's a repeated theme that they hit on is like oh olgar olgar was the one who started this war so if we kill olgar things will be okay and Hugh shows up at the end to kind of, like, take the piss out of the player and be like, oh, really? You thought you would just kill the bad person and then everything would go away? Okay, you know? I think he's pretty clear as, like, you know, <laughs> something else is going to happen that will, like, bring pain to this town again. And, you know, the very, like, saccharin like, hooray, we killed the bad guy and now Lucas is the good hawk lord and Lavon is the good wolf lord and everything's okay. It's, you know, I think they're pretty obvious that, like, this is temporary. You know, because things run deeper than that, you know, you know, once you see, like, you know, more of the story that, like, yeah, you're literally you are all literally living in a world built on pain and suffering.
2: Well, and I mean, you know, this is going to this is going to, you know, people contain multitudes. Right. So the fact that I'm about to contradict my future self and also my past self doesn't really matter. Um, Hugh, you whiny bitch, let me be happy.
1: (laughs) No, I'm with you here. <laughs> i it's it's not good, you know, Olgar is you know, like you say, we contain multitudes he he did a few murders, he is a fascist, you know, I mean not literally, we say that as like the hawks thing is all about like ah, oh, we will rule through strength and the the rule of law um, and you know they think the wolves are like too lovey dovey to like really be the rulers of the town, you know, but he in the grand scheme of things, you know, he is not the ultimate evil. He's like a dude who went through some shit and uh, you know, decide and like, you know, it turned him bitter against the rest of the world. So you take him out of the picture and it doesn't fix everything. You know, it lets people well, like come together for the sake of peace, but that doesn't that's not going to last forever. I
2: mean, there's a <sighs> the thing is if you ask, and this sort of like comes down to different philosophies about games and endings. Um, given all the information you have up to that point, that's the right choice. And there's the kind of there's the kind of st- st- writing for games where you're like, hey, we're going to pretend that this ending exists within its own context, or we're going to, and and, and I I don't use this word negatively punish you for context you didn't have i think both of those approaches are valid um i guess in this sort of game i prefer it when the game is like listen i mean like this isn't like this isn't how we think things canonly go but like if this is the store if this is the tone of the story you wanted we can have that tone that's fine
1: mm-hmm. i see that but i would say that the game like it basically... The, I'm gonna steal a term from Friends at the Table, and it shows... I, I think the game definitely, like, shows you the barrel of the gun, because in that scene where you fight Olgar right before you make the choice to kill him or not, um, there is definitely a hint that, you know, um, there's something more going on. When Jed, like, uses the red eyes of the witch, Olgar is really taken aback, and he says Arya's name, which previously was only somebody that Jed saw in her dreams, you know, and... Mm -hmm. So I think they definitely, I think they're pretty clear about telling you, like, there's something more going on here. And so the choice to kill Olgar is, you know, it is a choice to say, you know, Hugh basically says, like, you can try to find out what's, you know, you can always try to find out the ultimate truth of everything that's happening, but it won't, like, it won't necessarily bring you happiness, So I think killing Olgar in that moment is a choice of the player to be like, okay, if the whole truth won't necessarily bring me happiness, then I'm fine with this story in which I will kill the bad guy and bring peace to the town. And Hugh Hugh says like, yeah, you know, that is a story you can choose, but there were things happening out there that you didn't know about and they still happen. Yeah, I guess...
2: I think that's obvious, and I just don't need the game wagging its finger at me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Hugh was—he was a bit, he's a bit much. We could say. <laughs> well, do you want to talk about Hugh's ending?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is where this is where uh, Olivia and I are really going to disagree. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so Hugh's ending. Um. You you get to the same point where you're like, okay, I'm trapped in this cell, waiting for judgment as a witch. And Hugh comes and is like, I mean, I could take your place. And he's like, Or, I mean, like, you, are you just done with this? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm done with this. <laughs> like, uh, the way I read the choice, and I, th- I think, I think probably you'll agree with this, is basically Hugh's like, So you can either choose to try and like to die to save the town, or to try and live out the town's last days, or you can just flip the bird to this question. And I was like, I'm flipping the bird. <laughs>
1: so what happens if you flip the bird six
2: uh so if you flip the bird um you actually flip the butterfly ha 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 um you're he he was like okay well let's fall in love and you're like uh excuse me and he's like no it's great it'll be fine um and uh i'll admit (laughs) there is some implied uh mental fuckery going on, perhaps? Where, uh, suddenly Jed is like, hmm, yeah, okay, I don't really have to make choices, this is great, I can just hang out with my new boyfriend, who I suddenly like a lot. Um, and he was like, alright, let's go, and Ashenhog's like, wait, what the hell are y'all doing? And he was like, uh, bad news, you fucked up, me and the girl are peacing, and you turn
1: into butterflies and you're gone. I, I disagree with that telling of the facts that happened in the story. <laughs> I thought you might. Because um, I got this ending. And what I read on the screen was, you know, Hugh gives that choice of like, you know, you are stuck here with a choice to either live out the rest of your life in this town. um, or die to try to save the town, but you don't know what that happens. One other thing that he hits on is because you have to die to get, you know, for the final stone to be released from you, um, you, you don't have any control over what happens next. You have to trust somebody else to carry out your will, which is a theme of the other ending that I got. Um, uh, and Hugh offers Jed a third choice, um, And if she takes the third choice, he mind-controls her, TFs her into a butterfly, takes the stone, completes the Kaleidovia, and uses its power for himself. Like, when I played that ending, for me, that was an ending in which Hugh takes advantage of Jed in a moment where she's very emotionally weak, uses her to get the Kaleidovia to free himself from the Psychedelica, but not ending the Psychedelica, he just wanted to get out. When he runs into Ashenhawk, he basically, you know, flips him the bird and goes like, fuck you, got the girl, got the stone, now I'm getting out of here. Um, And for me, that's like, he just, you know, he just comes off as a real scumbag. And I don't think anything that he does in that ending has any real benefit for Jed at all. I think he simply uses her, gets her soul stone, tosses her aside and, you know, walks off with the ultimate power. Well, so
2: I think there's some, I think there's I, the truth is somewhere in the middle, um, because there is uh like there is an important story that Hugh Hugh tells you earlier about the story of like the two butterflies waiting for spring, and the ending is not like oh he turns you into a butterfly and then he's gone you both turn into butterflies.
1: Well, he turns Jed into a butterfly. And, I think and then is- he
2: turns himself into a butterfly. That is the actual end, is Ashenhawk watching these butterflies fly away. And then and then the narrator, like, unvoiced narrator being like, and then the two butterflies went off to go see Spring. And you can, you can have a diff- different interpretation. I'm positive you do. But the interpretation I got was that Hugh constantly talks about he's a traveler and he's going between different people's stories. And I do think there's a degree to which he's taking advantage of Jed, but he's kind of taking advantage of Jed to, to, like, force her not to have a second, like, not to double back on the decision to go with him and travel through stories together.
1: Mm-hmm. And my, and, you know, my interpretation of that, based on the way that I see the world, is, like, that that is the, what Hugh offers is not attainable like you can't actually detach yourself from the world that you're in and simply go off traveling and you know get out of the shitty situation that you and everyone you know is in and like that's why to me it is every time in every instance that jed decides to you know not deal with this choice whether that's mm-hmm. the francisca and whether that's the Ashen Hawk end, whether that's the Hugh end, it is always presented as a, a negative choice. Like, that is the way in which, you know, that's the, you know, that is her not dealing with her problems and hurting mm-hmm. herself by not dealing with what's happening here and, like, you know, leaving everyone else behind. And I agree with that reading of that. And that's why I can't see that ending as like positive for her in any way. You know, she she gets turned into a butterfly against her own will. And then he uses like the stone that's in her soul to like increase his own magic power. To me, that's not positive in any way.
2: I don't know if about I don't know about the increase his own magic power. I don't know if I agree with
1: that. He has a he has a line where he says, you know, like Jed is mine. The Kaleidovia is mine. And I'm leaving with them both to me that's yeah like, but he definitely wanted to complete the calado via for his own sure. purposes and he says that as much like he wants to see the calado via because it serves his interests
2: well i guess what i got from that and what i sort of read with hugh the whole time is part of his deal is he's traveling between stories and he got stuck in this one and he wants out again
1: mm-hmm. yeah
2: um and so i just saw that as him like like sick Found the door, fuck y'all. <laughs> um and I guess like some of this is like I think, honestly, the game leans more towards your reading. And a lot of this is me reading what I want to read and I'm fine
0: with that. Yeah. Uh, like...
2: Because to, to a certain extent, like I there are parts of this game's philosophy. I like this game and I found it really fascinating, but there are parts of this game's philosophy that I don't agree with. And one of its, like, fundamental ideas is if there are problems around you that you did not cause, it's your job to die to solve them or to, like, stay and suffer to solve them. And I think it is a valid choice to say, I didn't cause this. I'm not willing to sacrifice everything to fix it. I'm going to leave.
0: Yeah, and there also seems, well, there also seems like, for some of the bad endings at least, it portrays, it does portray an idea like, okay maybe you can make someone else's life better by doing this other thing and that's okay like specifically for Hugh one of the things that he says when he when you're talking it over with him is like yeah i'm a shapeshifter i can do all those sorts of stuff but the thing is i don't even know who i am anymore like if i don't have anyone around me to if i don't have anyone around me to take me into focus and decide what my form is then I can just lose myself entirely. And that's what happens oftentimes when I'm traveling through these stories for years and years and years. And if I have you with me, then you can, I can live through your image. I can be, I can find a sense of myself through who you see me as. And I found something about that to be pretty affecting.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Plus, maybe Jet has a mind control fetish.
0: God damn it,
1: sis! <laughs> Look, I also like. I'm not gonna lie. It's just like, yeah, and I mean, I like the Ashen Hawk ending, you know. So I'm not against the bad ends. It's just sure. the flavor of the bad ends. Hughes Hughes bad end to me was very flavored as you know, um, you know he he basically it it just seemed like he was more using Jed than what happens in the other bad endings and that to me was a sour taste in my mouth um and also just like my sense of morality like i tend to you know i agree with you know what you identified as the thesis of the game like sometimes you are in a shitty situation that you didn't have anything to do with um but you do take responsibility you're forced to take responsibility for it and that there is you know That there can be some nobility in dealing with a situation that is not your fault, but you still are a part of it,
2: you know? And I want to be clear, I do think it's a noble thing to take responsibility and try and fix it. But also, like, I don't know, like, there is also a degree to which, like, to, to connect it to real life, right? If you're a person who... If you're a queer person living in the US and you've seen the way politics have moved over the last number of years and you say, you know what, I'm just going to move. I don't think that's like the noble choice, but I'm not going to like call you evil for it, you know?
1: Uh, I think we split hairs over that where like I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know what degree this, you know, I think we're essentially saying the same thing with different emphasis. Like I wouldn't call someone evil mm. for that, but I would say like. You know, that's not the noble choice. It's not the right choice. You know, sure. Not but I think sometimes I can...
2: people can make can make. I, I think sometimes people can make wrong choices that aren't so wrong that I don't understand.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a choice that I could blame somebody for making, but not one that I would make or ever approve of anybody making. Mm. Okay. And... So you
2: do have a. It's it's we are in the similar perspective, but you have a more.
1: Uh, If there are are scales, you're sort of, like, down on the left and up on the right, and I'm sort of, like, the scales are flipped in a little way, but there doesn't seem to be actually that much difference.
2: Mm.
1: I get, you know, if I liked Hugh better, I would probably like the ending better, but I don't particularly (laughs) like Hugh, so I don't particularly like the ending, whereas I love Ashenhawk, and (laughs) thus his ending is fine by me, (laughs) because people contain multitudes. Sure
0: yeah, the story definitely focuses on it being, like, Jed's normal actions being um, just a force for good. Because she, her job is basically going around doing handyman stuff for anyone who asks. And it's treated as, like, well, she doesn't get paid a ton and she can barely afford more than stale bread. But what she's doing makes the town better and makes everyone happy with her. And... One of the few times where she actually does something sort of selfish where she uses T's affection to be like oh, okay uh you like me why don't you go grab olgar's ring for me and meet me over in this uh town um the next evening and of course T, being this love struck girl who wants to do anything for her boyfriend is like or her supposed boyfriend or crush is like oh, okay yeah i'll do that and Olgar just fucking stabs her. And... Like, a significant amount of that second... Like, I'd say last quarter of the game... Is, uh... Jed coming to terms with... Oh, what I did was kind of monstrous. And... I don't even deserve her... I... I can't even think about, uh... Pitting myself for this, because... That's that would still be a selfish thing to do so all
1: I can do is try and make her better mm-hmm. yeah funnily enough, like Hugh ends up he has like something pretty significant to say about that where he says that you know like um people you know he says like people do those sorts of things every day like they cause pain to other people by taking a, a like a single selfish action and it is like. I think he calls it like, it's not a, it's not a good act and it's not an evil act. It is like the kind of, like most things are, are both, you know? Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. He he sits her down and he's like, look, everyone here likes you and you've been, whether you've been cognizant of that or not, you've been taking advantage of that. And this is the logical conclusion to just seeing people as, oh, they like me. They'll do something for me.
2: Yeah, that is definitely as as apparently the resident advocate for being selfish, that is a really shitty thing that she does. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that does that is a sucky thing. Mm-hmm. Uh not here to endorse that one.
1: It came out of it kinda came out of nowhere, but I ended up like I thought it added a, a lot to Jed. Like I think that action ends up like for if you do pick one of those endings in which she's like, No, like fuck this, I'm getting out of this. You know, it, I think that part of the story ends up establishing, like, a lot of ground is, like, Jed is, like, not a saint. Like, she is somebody who can get fed up or, because when she, um, when she decides to, like, manipulate T, like, I, her previous monologue is her frustration of, like, I've been, you know, I have no idea how I'm going to come about this problem. Like, I've been given, I've been given this task to get the ring from Olgar, I have no idea how that's ever going to happen um and so then like she runs into T and is like oh this is like something i can do and so it's like you know she ends up like manipulating T um out of not knowing what else to do and i think that is like a it's a good beat for her character because i you know Mm -hmm. without that you know she is a very like squeaky clean uh like heroine yeah for sure Speaking of heroin, should we get into the heroine ending? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the heroin ending. Uh, yeah, that's like that's the one I got, and then I got it. Um, you know, I was getting a bunch of different endings, and then I got the heroin ending, and I was like, okay, that's the one for me. I don't need to like go get all of the lore. Um, because that felt like you know one to end the game on, basically.
2: I think uh, given how, how our group DMs went, I would really love to have Jen explain this one. Mm-hmm.
1: I've been talking okay. too damn much, so.
0: <laughs> so towards the end, your pentultimate choice is basically, well, your ultimate choice really is, I want to seek the light, I want to seek happiness, or I can't decide. And this ending comes about if you choose that you want to seek the light. Basically what happens, you work this out with uh, Lucas. The previous night you're brought up to tr- the trial on the town square having um the whole town basically jeer at you and then you basically uh, earlier on one of the things that uh one of the things that he explains to you is like even if you die there's going to be people that th- thought you were innocent and they will continue to fight the people who killed you and it's just going to be an, an endless cycle of violence. So maybe so maybe accepting your death isn't the answer. But she turns that around and is like, Ha ha ha, I was the witch all along. I tricked everyone. And basically does her best impression of being evil to the point where she scares the shit out of the person who's supposed to execute her. And right on cue, uh, Lugus pulls out his sword. They engage in a theatrical sword fight and Lucas runs her through in the heart. Um, And basically once that happens, the missing gem pops out of her and he takes it back to the church. He explains to um, an understandably furious uh, Levian Levon that well, this is what she asked me to do, so I had to do it. And now, if you'll excuse me, I have to stab myself as well. And it turns out that after she had explained this plan to um, Lucas, Hugh showed up and be like, "Just so you know, if she's the only one that dies in this scenario and the Kaleidovia gets completed, you're not going to join up back up together. You're not going to join back up together in the afterlife. Not ever." And uh, Lucas' response to that is like, Why are you telling me this? And he's like, Um, I thought it'd be fair. And secretly it's like, Oh, I thought it'd be more interesting this way. And, um, So basically, because he does that and leaves the others to finish the Kaleidovia, as, as, uh, Jed is losing her form, She hears a voice call out to her and grab her by the hand. It turns out it's Lucas who is uh, basically pulling her out of oblivion and uh, bringing her somewhere else. And that somewhere else turns out to be the end of the TV show, Neon Neon Genesis Evangelion. (laughs) Because suddenly it switches over to a modern day, uh, Japanese town where, um, Jed is now a, a Japanese schoolgirl, and she's, uh, she runs into Lucas, uh, who happens to be a transfer student. There's something mentioned about butterflies and, uh, up in, up on top of a rooftop, um, uh, you can see a slightly obscured Hugh watching over everything with a notebook and happily writing things down. This is the part where I think that this is supposed to tie directly into the previous game, Psychedelica of the the Black Butterfly. Mm -hmm. But since I haven't played that game, I can only assume that's where the connection is.
1: Yeah, so Jed's uh, friend in the schoolgirl section uh, is the protagonist of Psychedelica of the Black Butterfly. And other characters, like, sort of allude to the idea that Whatever happens in Black Butterfly, there is an ending in which all of the characters, like, leave their world and go to modern-day Japan as well. Um, and so I guess that's the crossover. Then, like, if you get out of the psych- of a psychedelica, you-, you get reincarnated in Japan. Other things in that sequence... Um, two characters who uh like pass by jed and she takes notice of them uh they're voiced by the voice actors for uh lawrence the priest and elric the little boy who were both throughout the game sort of implied to have more going on and i if i were to look up the voice actors i think those voice actors would both appear as characters in Black Butterfly. So I think they are implied to be like the souls of those two characters who then got reincarnated into the Ashen Hawk psychedelica.
0: Yeah, there's a part specifically where they allude earlier in the game to, once things are starting to come together to
1: like, oh, we've heard of this before, we were trapped in our own psychedelica. Mm-hmm. And uh, those two char- of those two characters, uh, it seems to be like a grown man and a young boy. Uh, it's flipped so that like the character who was Lawrence in Ashen Hawk is the little boy and Elric, who's the little boy in Ashen Hawk, is the grown man. Uh, I can't believe there's a lore reason for why Elric's voice sounds like that. <laughs> like, I don't know if anyone else <laughs> noticed, but Elric has like, a really mature voice for an eight-year-old. And he's just a mature kid. He's got a really deep voice. It's like <laughs> an eight year old walking around like, hi, my name is Elric. Please teach me how Dude. to use the sword. <laughs> uh, and I think you pass by an un, like an uh character who I pretty sure is voiced by the voice actor for Lavon, who is on the phone talking about how his his younger brother is going to be born soon. Which I think is implying that Lavon and Levy are also reincarnated in this world, although Jed doesn't know them. Yeah, there's, there's also the, uh... oh, oh yeah. Do, do you think that Rabbit got reincarnated? Oh shit, Rabbit! Um, <laughs> she must have. I, I gotta hope. I gotta hope she got that <laughs> hot girl body she was jealous of in the scene where Jed dresses up the first time. <laughs> that's a thing. Yeah, the first time yep. that Jed dresses up, they're like, oh the or Elric's rabbit is jealous of you because she also wants to be a pretty woman. So, you know, I hope she got it.
0: Rabbit's such a weird, like, comic relief thing that happens within the story. Like, uh, Elric and rabbit have matching uh, bows on their backs, and uh, <laughs> rabbit exclusively communicates with Boo! And um, everyone seems to understand what that means, or at least Elric and Lawrence are well-attuned to what that means, while uh,
1: Jed starts catching on a little bit. I, I, would, and... I would bet that is a thing that makes more sense if you've played Black Butterfly. I feel like it must be like some sort of reference to something. Maybe the Elric character in Black Butterfly has a sister or something, or like a, a non-pictured like girlfriend.
2: I mean, I I thought it was just fine. I don't know.
1: I mean, I'm not saying like we, you know, it was it was cute comic relief without the lore stuff. But I bet the reason it's there is to be a callback. You know, Mm.
0: the idea of one of their sister, I mean, of one of the characters' sisters or girlfriends suddenly being reincarnated as a rabbit and
1: everyone just treats it like it's okay is kind of unnerving to me. (laughs) You know, that's how it goes in the cycle of life and death. Sometimes you're like, oh, I'm a rabbit this time. It's true. I guess. <laughs> Can confirm. I mean, Jed Jed is... Uh, I mean, I would assume Jed is be- reincarnated as a butterfly in the Hugh ending, so... It's like it's something that happens. Yeah. Yeah, it is... I mean, I'm pretty... So I'm pretty sure the heroin ending is, like, the true ending of the game. Um... Hmm. the With, um... With the tie-in to the other game, the, uh... Code Geass-ass, uh... Like, sword fight that ends in Jed's death.
2: I... I was restraining myself from making that reference, so here we go. I will never
1: (laughs) restrain myself from making the Code Geass reference. Um and you know with the basically like freeing everyone from the psychedelica and the lugus the lugus shipping uh i'm pretty sure judging from the art that he's like the main guy Mm -hmm. so I, i i think of this as the true ending and i think it's like a pretty it's a pretty interesting ending to me for the game i was happy to get it and then be like stop myself there
0: Yeah, it's definitely the happier of the two Lucas endings from what I've seen. (laughs) Uh, The other one is, like, you end up talking with Olgar more kind of getting into this daughter-son bonding stuff. And uh, his way to save you is that he drinks poison and kills himself. And it turns out that he had planned that with Lucas so that uh, they could pretend that you were... Kill you all, had also uh drank the poison so that they can hide you within the Hawk Manor and you live the rest of your life there, only coming out one day a year to participate in the masquerade.
1: Wow. Um Nobody did the levy ending, but I know that it's called the Tower of Sinners, so I'm pretty
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think I tried to do the Levy ending and I just got Wolf
1: Brothers again. <laughs> uh i'm pretty this game is like no you don't get to date these men it will be bad
0: <laughs> which i guess is fair because the idea of dating some of them in the beginning was like oh well these are kind of my adopted brothers this feels kind of
1: this doesn't feel right to me mm. i i had thought that Ashenhawk was a more straightforward love interest and there was a part of the story where i was like okay he's somebody's father i don't know who's dad he is yet, but he's somebody's dad, and I hope it's not Jed's.
0: So I figured it out almost as soon as they got into a thing earlier in the game that's like, oh, here's a portrait of our father. He kind of abandoned us at an early age, and he was kind of a flake before that. He's a real piece of shit. It's like, oh, who else do I know is kind of, who else do I know
1: is kind of a flake and a piece of shit? Ash and you.
2: Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: really. Uh... That's kind of amazing. Uh, there's that scene where Jed sees Arya in her dream, and Arya talks a lot about, like, the person that she loves. Um, they heavily imply that she's Jed's mom there, and in the, like, final part of that scene, you see her walking away with, um, you know, who you'll later find out is, like, Apris, the young Ashen Hawk. But in the CG, mm-hmm. you can be like, okay, there's only so many people with that hair.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh interesting thing about this game, uh, it both follows and like subverts the anime genetics law. Like uh Jed has the same like I think it I don't know if it's a conscious choice, but like Jed has the same hair color as uh like uh Lavon, uh, and they're not related. Um, but she does have the same hair color as Arya, her mom. Um Francesca and Olgar are siblings, um, even though they look like different ethnicities, and like neither um Lugas nor T are end up being Olgar's biological children. So there's there's a lot of like characters whose designs you would be conditioned to think of as like conveying family relation are not actually related.
2: Well, here's the thing. Um basically every, well, okay, with the ex with the exception of Lugas and T, basically everyone is everyone else's cousin. So uh yeah. Well Which to me makes some of the relation stuff relationship stuff a little uncomfortable, but I know how Japan be.
1: I'm trying I'm like thinking, is everybody everyone else's cousin? Yeah, yeah. I guess. Well yeah. it's also sort of like a Western fantasy story. Like it has some Western fantasy stuff in there. Uh, so everyone being everyone's cousin is a also a trope in like that sort of uh, genre that they're playing with. I don't, sure. I don't know if they're like playing, you know, playing with it implies that they're like doing something more than...
2: They're having fun.
1: <laughs> I... <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it's in that it's in the, the bag that they grab from when they're like making this setting. Do we want to tackle the gender stuff at all?
2: Tackle gender, pin it to the ground. Get its ass, <laughs> hold it
1: down. <laughs> um, yeah the the gender stuff um if I if I had to rate psychedelica of the ashen Hawk on its gender wokeness, I would say it's about a c-ish you know, maybe C-. minus. It's not exactly like the, you know, it has, uh, I think it has some points where Jed's sort of uh, gender stuff uh, is really interesting to me and some points where it's exactly what I expected it to be in a bad way and then some sort of parts where I was surprised by, you know, where it went. Mm -hmm. Definitely like a mixed reaction
0: from me. Yeah, there's some of the stuff specifically with Francesca I feel like, where she's like, Oh, hey, here's some jewels, and I could do a little bit of makeup on you. You're a girl, you'll like this. And uh, Judd's like, You're right, I do like this. But I cannot, because I am too tortured inside, and I have to keep up this front. And it's like, Oh, God, this is this is kind of frustrating.
2: All women find dresses, like, biologically irresistible.
1: Well, I think that's a little uncharitable to the game. Like, I, there are definitely, like, I think Jed's attraction to feminine things is, I think it's painted as, there's a little bit of essentialism in there, but I think there's also a decent amount of, it is just this thing that she's been told she can't have for safety reasons, Um, you know, that she wants because it's been closed off to her for so long, you know? Hmm. Like, the... I was really waiting for a point in the game where it was like, okay, you were born a girl and thus you have to be a girl, you know, but I think there is actually, a you know, like in, you know, she never, there's never a point where, you know, she has to like permanently change to the girl outfit, you know, like even when she's reincarnated Mm. in the heroine ending, she still has that short hair, like, you know, her, her slightly more masculine look, even though she is wearing a skirt. Um, so it avoids the worst of what I was expecting. I thought there was going to be a point where it's like, okay, everybody knows, you know, her secret. So now she is just going to be a girl the whole time. But even after that's true, even after everyone, fin- you know, even after everyone finds out, you know, she is still in her old clothes. You know, sort of doing her own thing with her. She doesn't really change her speaking patterns with people. Either
2: and Lovon well, is kind of uh gender essentialist, but. Uh, he, he is not, like, there's a point where it's like, oh, we're gonna have our revenge plot, but we, you know, we, you can't come, you're not a man of the wolf, and at the time Jed's like, oh, cause I'm not from the household, and it's like, no, L- L- LaVon's really like, no, because you're a woman, and then Levy finds out, and he's like, oh, that's really stupid. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's also the, the thing with the LaVon ending, where, um, once you become his wife, you basically have a unique, um, wolf's uh dress that you wear all the time
1: yeah that is a theme with mm-hmm. Lavon of like Lavon's stories really sort of put jed in the role of like the civilizing woman um which the ending the ending it sounds like doesn't quite do that like you know jed's presence in his life it doesn't just like make him a better person uh but there is a lot of like that's how his attraction to her is framed as like, it is, it is his one feeling that he can be confident is fully good. You know, his love for her as a woman, because mm-hmm. it said that he also, you know, happened to find out, um, that she was born a woman really early on. And he was sort of keeping that a secret as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Meanwhile, um, well, I, I feel like for both
0: lovey and Levon. um, Jed is treat Jed is treated like this central figure that keeps both of them in check like with levy um he kind of finds out that he's in love with her before like it he doesn't really even seem to care whether um about gender or anything like that he's just in love and there's this whole thing where one of the times where he ends up brutally killing someone when he's a bit younger um Jed comes out and her, um, basically helping him as he's kind of washing the blood off his hands is like a moment. It's like, oh, as long as, as long as Jed's around, I can keep this beast inside of me and not have to worry about it. And Listen,
2: Jen, using a condescending tone as if she doesn't eat this shit up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Like I might for some other stories, <laughs> but not for this one for whatever reason. I don't know. Okay. Like you can okay, do it. You can
1: do it in a way that's like, mmm, I love this garbage, and then you can do it in a way where it's like, oh, this is just garbage.
0: But yeah, that, that that also adds on to the way that Levon's like, well, one, I didn't ever go sicko mode because my brother was there to go sicko mode, and B I'm I'm around you all the time, and being around you calms me down. So, there. And, yeah, it's like this weird situation where her mere presence just seems to... Well, you could buy it in terms of her just being a very good friend to everyone, and being very caring for everyone. And that's the thing that ends up calming them down. But the other way you can just as easily read it is like, Oh, it's because she's a woman. And... That kind of adds into that kind of complicates things and adds on to the idea that there are these tropes in play of her basically being the woman that soothes down King Kong, or in a more modern example, um Black Widow calming down the Hulk.
1: Mm-hmm. It's definitely a like theme of the way that Jed's gender is used. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm though there were also a few scenes like um there's the scene with um Ashenhawk where uh which is there's a scene with Ashenhawk like i think it's pretty soon after she starts like wearing the dress um and walking around as a woman like they do have a lot of scenes in which Jed is like even if people look at me and they clock me as a woman i still I'm missing, like, the social, There, there is some attention paid to, like, the social constructs of gender, because there's a scene in which Ashenhawk is sort of teasing her uh, as, like, oh, you're wearing the dress, and you were born a woman, but you've lived a man your whole life, so you can't do, like, a, the feminine curtsies that I can do, and he's sort of, like, teasing her about it, um, but it's one scene among a few in which they, you know, they do say that you know, there are these social aspects to being a woman that just because Jed was, like, assigned a woman at birth, she doesn't have access to because she hasn't lived like that. Um, mm-hmm. There's, you know, she talks about, like, changing her speech patterns, you know, to use, like, because they're speaking Japanese, like, more feminine speech patterns or walking in a dress in a certain way. Um, and things like that, and I was surprised to see that incorporated as much as it was, given that they also do a fair amount of like, you know, she will soothe the beast in Levy's heart.
2: I mean, to me that I don't know, maybe I'm being uncharitable here, but to me that I don't (sighs) The fact that she still has the like the like inherent womanly power despite not like despite them being like, well, but you don't like have these, you know, you weren't raised a woman and you haven't internalized being a woman actually makes it more, a little bit more damning to me because it's like, but there's just something inherently female about you no matter what you do, so it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah,
0: it's when you take that into account, it's a pretty regressive view on
1: gender. Yeah, I think that's fair. um I don't think it has a progressive view on gender by any means, but. I yeah, there there are some scenes that I was more pleasantly surprised about than I thought I would be, and you know, I think your interpretation is valid six that like when you take it all together, it could be read as, you know, a double essentialist narrative of. Mm -hmm. You know, in that turf way of, like, acknowledging socialization. Um, But there's just something about that biology that triumphs over everything. Um, You know, which sucks as a theme. For sure. But I did like that. I liked the... I did like the story setup of, you know, um, like, dressing as a woman, like, allowed Jed to experience a different side of the town. I, like, I did like those aspects mm-hmm. a lot of, like, you know, the the idea as offered in some of those scenes that, like, you know, it It allows her to have the experience of a different person. And, you know, that's how she meets Lugas, is, like, this person that she would have never have met in her current life, but in this other life that she can meet and grow close to and... Discover that you know he is not at all what he how he presents when they have met before, mm-hmm. which I thought was an in- I thought it was interesting story wise. It is pretty funny that your
0: introduction to um, Lucas and Girl Mode is him just running up to you and making out with you and be like, "Oh shit, I thought you were someone else!" spy <laughs> And uh, of course, he has he feels pretty bad about that as he should,
1: but. uh, yeah the way that develops from there is kind of interesting he's a supremely awkward man i think my main takeaway from lugus like he like the reason that he kisses jed in that moment is because he believes her to be like a woman that he like a like a like who's like implied to be an escort that somebody set him up with and he intends to break up with her but he's like okay what you do before you break up with someone is you give them like one last really good kiss um the man just has some like weird ideas about sociality and how you interact with people um which i i found i found it kind of charming like his in some instances like his thing with the the scene with the map where he's like clearly lost in the part of town that he doesn't normally go to, but he, like, doesn't know how to talk to people. And just be Mm -hmm. like, hey, where is this house?
0: Yeah, I I feel like out of when everything is said and done, I like the small character moments a lot more than some of the dark twists and turns that end up happening. Like, they're just scenes where, um, like... One that sticks out in my mind in particular is the one where Jed has to... J- Jed's eating over at uh, Francisca's again. And the thing about Francisca is that she sucks at, cu- at cooking. So in order to make sure that the meal turns out okay, she basically has to continuously trick uh, Francisca into doing um, menial cooking jobs that you can't fuck up while she and LaVon are secretly um, focusing on the main course. <laughs> and there's something about just deep diving into the process there of reading about how they're preparing the food and interacting with one another that I feel like plays really well with the format and the way that this game shows actions happening is that they have portraits moving in and out like vibrating when they get hit or they're scared or shouting and I feel like that sort of animation works a whole lot better in these cases. Um, not so much when things are actually popping off and you're just seeing Levy um, as he goes sick of mode, just shaking and then popping in and out, in and out, like moving very close, very far away. It's like, oh, this, this looks kind of goofy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it definitely worked for the more like slice of life scenes uh, better.
2: Well, if, sure. you're, if you're ready, uh, that does transition rather nicely into an email we received.
0: Oh. oh, awesome. I didn't know we had one. That's good.
2: So, if you want to send us messages, you can send them to uh, podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, those will be passed along to us. So you can ask about any game, past or present, or I guess that we haven't covered yet, if you want. Um, and this question is from uh, Curie Page. Uh Is this game enhanced or detracted by being an Otome game? Are there elements that you feel do a disservice to each other due to its format, or can this only work as an Otome game?
0: I feel like it uses the Otome game format pretty well. Like, it sets you up for expectations of you going to specific routes and getting something nice and cheery out of it, while the reality is that one, characters directly call out the fact that, okay, everyone, you're in a situation where everyone seems to like you. And because of that, you're making decisions that are not necessarily good. And you're kind of hurting the people around you because you're not really... You're just thinking of these people as interests you can pursue. And uh the other thing about that is just... It's interesting to be like, okay, I'm going to see, I'm going to learn more about this person and see what they're about. And more often than not, it results in something, you find out something tragic about them, or you, there's an element of their character that you can't quote-unquote fix, and you basically have to live with them like that.
2: I actually lean towards, I liked it much better when it was being an Atome game than when it was telling its bigger story, but...
0: That's fair, yeah. Like, I, I feel like some of the strongest writing, as we've gotten to earlier, is when you're just having some slice-of-life uh, comedy stuff. But I, I did appreciate that the game kind of threw me for a loop and kept me unsure about where it was going to go.
1: Hmm. Yeah. My, like, sort of the way I think about art is, like, you know, any story can exist in any format uh but there is you know different you know there are consequences for the like tropes and story structures and like medium structures that you choose um so like i guess what i liked about the more otome elements in this game like like uh, i think both of you said like i think it makes like the daily life stuff around the town pretty strong uh it got me, like, really attached to, you know, the characters of the story in that first part where you just get to, like, see everyone living their daily lives. And I think that's pretty important for where the story wants to go. Um, uh, but I think it also definitely, it makes it a turn. Um, and I think after the turn it makes, uh, sort of the romantic stuff definitely takes a backseat. Um, and I think it having been sort of grounded front and center in the beginning of like, you know, interacting with a lot of these characters who are very clearly signposted as like love interests for Jed. Um, I think it tries to like put that aspect aside and then kind of bring it back near the end. And I think that's sort of a clunky transition. I don't think it works like around the time when the game is asking me like which boy I want to choose. I was a little like, Oh, right. Right. (laughs) right and then you get to all these you know the endings of all the you know if you choose it seems like you know if you choose one of these endings that is like we're pairing Jed off with like one of these men that she's been talking to they do tend to be sort of like you know complicated or you know uh, frustrating in certain ways Uh, Mm it definitely feels intentional yeah for sure so um,
0: we should probably start wrapping things up. Just getting into like closing thoughts with the game. Like uh, personally, I thought that I overall it had a really good time with this game. Like even if it didn't exactly stick the landing, and it had some it it swings between um, tones and genre, kind of uh, jostled us a little bit. I had a good time inhabiting Jed's world for a little bit, and that counts a lot. That That's a lot. That counts for a lot in my book.
2: I think I'd say I had a good time, but I didn't particularly like inhabiting Jed's world. That world sucks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like the people of Jed's world for the most part, like, and Jed herself. I like to see her interacting with those characters and, like, um... I would absolutely watch, like, the slice of life anime that is just everybody hanging out and doing their daily thing. I think a lot of the character work was pretty strong. Um, the Like I said, I think the back half was clunky I th- at times. I think they the shifts were not quite reconciled, but they still gave me a lot to think about. Um, there, I definitely hit a point in the game where it was like, I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing for the rest of the day. I'm just going to play this game and finish it to the end. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely able to like grab my attention and gave me a lot to think about. It actually helped me reach, you know, an ending on, or like plan an ending for one of my own creative projects. So, you know, very grateful for that. Um, uh, and I, one of the things I always prize in a piece of art is like, if it can get my imagination working like that and, thinking about it you know and basically inspiring my own thoughts and you know ashen hawk definitely did that so overall positive
2: all right well uh we should we should tell the folks what we're going to be doing next time
0: yeah um i think that you should probably talk about it six because uh you're you were the one that kind of brought it to us, being like, hey, why don't we do this?
2: Okay, well, uh, we are uh, going to be going into the world of uh, Point and Click, once again. Uh, we are going to be playing uh, Jordan Mechner's classic, classic game, Prince of Persia. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to be playing The Last Express which is a game about a, uh, a murder mystery on a train on the eve of World War I. Um, it's got some, like, some... It's, it's a, it's a, there's a lot happening on that train. There's a lot to explore, a lot of politics, and we're going to have a good mm-hmm. time.
1: That's I'm excited for it because it's one of those games that like it's a lot older than most games that I play before and so I'm excited to like branch out and like go tackle this game that is I accidentally booted it up and it seemed like it was running on in like an emulator of like it queued up like a DOS emulator to run if I was reading some of mm. the stuff right so I'm excited to like be in a different era of gaming
2: yeah fall fall into the past
1: Yeah, Prince of Persia
2: 2, The Shadow and the Flame.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I personally am a sucker for anything that involves rotoscoping. I think that's a very, like, blending together hand-drawn or computer animation with, like, overlaid over real-life actors leads to this very interesting fluid look that almost feels like it adds a level of unreality. So... I'm always drawn to that style, like uh, a moth to a flame.
2: hope you don't get burned, baby. <laughs> if
0: I do, it's your fault.
2: <laughs> uh, isn't it usually? Uh, I think with that, folks, we are uh, we are calling it a show. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This is the Plug In Zone um this is a podcast on the abnormal mapping network you can check out other shows at abnormal mapping dot i want to say dot com yes I, i'm always like dot com or dot net i don't know why it's never been dot net um you can check out of course the titular show abnormal mapping for one dollar a month you can get the great gundam project there is and then an aeroplane there's a there's a lot of stuff on there you should check That's out. it's like 60 percent um, of
1: my podcasts that i listen to <laughs> there's
2: and the other 40% is Scanline Media, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Olivia, where, why don't you tell people where to find you?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, at Great Uh That last part is G-R-E-B-E. Um, uh, you can sort of find everything else that I do there. I'm working on some stuff coming down the pipe. Um, an essay on uh, both Death, the original Death Note and its... Uh, 2021 shot and sort of looking at the two eras of the world as portrayed, you know, in Death Note. Um, And I'm also working on an upcoming podcast, which hopefully will be out by the next time that we do one of these. And I'll just say the whole thing instead of just teasing it.
2: All right. Uh, Jen, what about you?
0: So, I'm at jbu3 on Twitter. Um, as Six alluded to, most of my stuff is on scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com slash scanlinemedia. Um, on the Patreon side, we have um, movie podcasts, anime podcasts, role-playing game podcasts. Um, we, we have a lot of stuff on there. <laughs> and we also have some really good writing over on the scanlinemedia.com side. So I recommend checking both of them out. And if you like what you see, um, we appreciate any support we can get.
2: And then um, as far as me, I'm on Twitter at six Detmar, Uh You know, scanlinemedia.com, patron.com, so Scanline scanlinemedia. Specific shout out to uh, this episode of Novel Not News should be going out on Friday if all goes as planned and then if all goes further as planned the following monday oops all anime will have this trio reuniting to discuss my life as a villainous all roots lead to doom which is an which is a isekai anime about being trapped as the villain in an otome game which is extremely up our alley
0: yeah that is my shit to a t
2: uh i have watched the first two episodes this, this is a good shit it's good shit y'all <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm excited for that. I, sh- I should get a move on.
2: All right. Well, we won't we won't stop you any longer. Either you, Olivia, or you at home, friends and folks. Thank you so much, and peace out.
1: Have a good Bye. one. Bye.